0: Hi, this is Emily Trotter, and you're listening to Nothing But Fine Bible Talk, where we're going to do just that, talk about the Bible. We're going to read it, make some notes, learn some things, and hopefully put those things into practice. Are you ready to dig in? Good morning, St. Paul and my friends who are wherever you might be. My name is Emily Trotter, and uh, I am a member of St. Paul United Methodist Church here in Columbus, Georgia. But um, I'm a lover of the Lord, and I'm just really humbled and um, excited to be able to to do this study um, and have it out on the interwebs. Um, So anyway, we're just going to jump right in. So Titus. So Titus is a small book. It's only three chapters, um, but it's got a lot, a lot of good truth in there. And what I like to do before I start into a study is kind of look at the background a little bit. So today we won't necessarily, we'll only go through, I think, the first four or five verses of Titus in chapter one. Um, But we're going to get back into a little bit of a, a little bit of a background and little cultural things that were going on at the time. So we know, so when you go back, if you do inductive Bible study, you know that the first things that they tell you to do is to ask the five W's and an H. Is it five? Y'all correct me if I'm wrong. But it's who, what, why, when, where, and how. Okay, right? Was that right? Um, so when you look at Titus, you, you want to know who wrote it. And it tells you right at the beginning. So it says in, in verse 1, chapter 1 of Titus, says Paul, so Paul wrote it. <laughs> first word literally is Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So there's who's written it. Now we all know that Paul, do you know Paul's story? I'm just going to pretend like you don't. So if you've heard this, keep listening. I might get to something that you don't know. But even if I don't, I find that it's so helpful to go back and revisit those things that we think we know just as a kind of awakening those things. And then you might even notice some things that you didn't notice before, right? So Paul, who was formerly Saul, um, comes into the Bible in um, Acts. It's in Acts eight. And it's Acts eight, one. And then that chapter previous in chapter seven of Acts, we see that Stephen is being martyred. He was the first Christian martyr. And he was martyred because he had gone in and were telling the Pharisees and the priests, "You people, Jesus has come. Our Messiah has come. He has been a savior, and you have crucified him, and you have buried him. But he rose again." And the Pharisees and the priests were like, mm, "We can't. Uh-uh, this is awful. This is going to start an uprising. This is going to. This is terrible. We have got to squash." this belief and this teaching that these new people are doing, that these apostles of Jesus are doing. So Stephen was stoned. And it says in verse eight, chapter eight of verse one in, in Acts that and Saul of Tarsus watched. So Saul was there. There's another tidbit about Saul from Tarsus. And so he was a Pharisee. He was a learned man and all the Jewish things. He had sat under a very famous and prestigious um, teacher of the time. And so he knew all these laws. He knew all the things that we were supposed to be doing. He knew how the Jewish people were supposed to live. He knew all of these things, and he had made it his personal mission to persecute Christians, these new believers who followed what Jesus said and were kind of getting away. And so they had called this the way. They had called this new belief system the way. They're following the way. They're not sticking to what they've been taught and what they know. So Paul, or Saul, sorry, keeps going. And he sets off on a mission. (laughs) And people were afraid. The Jews, that were believing in Jesus and who were following this new way and were following the apostles and who were listening to this new teaching of who Jesus was, they were afraid of, of Saul. So Saul gets out on the road and lo and behold, he is met by the Lord. And the Lord strikes and it's Saul is immediately blinded. And God says, why are you persecuting me? So Paul has this encounter with the Lord where the Lord personally reaches down and stops him and says, why are you doing this to me? And that is Saul's conversion. And later he becomes Paul, which is how we know him. And if you just think about it, here's this man who was persecuting Christians who stood while Stephen was being martyred and approved of what was going on. He did all of those things, yet he is responsible for writing so much of the New Testament. He has written so many good things. So that conversion for him, where he went from literally one spectrum to the other side and is so instrumental in my faith and yours as well. So we have that about about Paul. And so Paul really started this missionary movement. And Paul, because he was from Tarsus and because he was very, he had been taught all of the Jewish things, he also was a Roman citizen. So he had the freedom to travel about the empire and not be stopped. And he also spoke Greek, which was very important in reaching that, that Western, west of of Israel. So all of that Western side, Paul could go wherever he wanted and he spoke their language and he was kind of, you know, accustomed to what their customs and beliefs were. He knew what they were. And it also, because of who he was, it kind of gave him a wider audience because he was kind of respected and he, oh, he's got a great pedigree. So that allowed Paul to be able to travel. And the countless people that he must have met and converted, and um, just encouraged and brought them along. And Titus is one of those people that he met. We don't know that if he actually converted Titus himself, or if he just was a part of who of, of Titus's growth in his faith. But he refers to he refers to Titus in verse five. No, I'm sorry. Verse four to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our savior. So we see this and in Galatians, it talks about Titus. Let me see where it is. Okay, here it is. In Galatians chapter two, it says then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. So we know that at some point, Titus also started to travel with Paul, and became one of his people. And you know they always went in in groups or pairs at least um, to kind of spread the message. And that's how Jesus sent them out, two at a time, put them in pairs, and sent them out. So we know that about Titus. That's pretty much all we know about Titus. Um, and I've tried to look and. You can might assume that when it talks about some of the other believers, especially in Acts, that that when he was sending people out, um, that Titus was in that number. But he wrote, Paul wrote these letters. He wrote a letter to Titus and he wrote two letters to Timothy. And so these three books, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, are called the pastoral epistles because they were written to the pastors and how to set up these churches and how to organize them and how to structure them and how to say, you know, here's what should be done. Here's the best way that this is going to work. Here's what you might come across. Here's, you know, these issues that you might be having. This is how you deal with it. So then the next question we might ask is, okay, why was Paul writing to Titus? Clearly he's saying more than, ah, oh, I miss seeing you. Gosh, what have you been up to? Having a good day? Um, he's not saying that. So we have to look at what, what the issue might've been. So then we look at Crete. Um, and Crete was, um, you might see this picture here. I'm also doing this on Instagram live. Um, so this picture, sorry, I don't think, John doesn't want me to do that. So. This might be edited out, but there is Crete down here at the bottom, okay? Um, and Crete is kind of equidistant from Asia, from Greece, and from the top of Africa. So it's in the central location. And I found this very funny, but it says, it says in, in Titus, this is what it says about the Cretans, and they were... Oh, just remember, they're called Cretans. Um, here we go. So in chapter one, verse 10, this is what Paul says to Titus. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. In verse 13, it says, and this testimony is true. So Paul was like, this is what they say about each other. And I have found it to be true. This is true. So Cretans were liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. So those things about the Cretans. So Crete, because of his central location, saw all kinds of people coming in. There were, and apparently it was just overrun with the pagan traditions of the Greeks. And so they had all these gods and they had all these rites and ceremonies and sacrifices and altars to all these people. They believed or they didn't believe because they just bragged about it. This prophet whose name starts, not prophet, but yeah, it says prophet. It starts with an E and I don't remember how to pronounce it, so I'm not going to try But he was saying that, Yeah, they're liars because they claim that the tomb of Zeus, which is the head god, is in Crete. And this prophet was saying, but if he's a god, he's not dead. How can there be a tomb? So clearly you're lying. So that's kind of how the Cretans were. They made up these stories, but apparently they had a really good time. They just kind of went with the flow of things and were like, oh, that sounds great. We're going to do that. So this were the people of Crete. And so you might say, well, Emily, how in the world did the message of Jesus get to Crete? Well, there are some other, I like to think of it this way. In Acts, and chapter two of Acts, it says when when Pentecost happens, you know, if you've been listening to uh, or tuning in, To um, the other podcasts and things that St. Paul has, John, you and I have been doing one on the Holy Spirit since August, and we started out to do the Book of Acts, and it's kind of traveled in other directions. (laughs) If you've been listening, you understand. Um, So, put that on your list to look for, also. Um, But it's the Holy Spirit. Um, But in Chapter Two of Acts, they're all so that the this is after Jesus has. Been crucified, buried, resurrected, come back and seen the the um the disciples and has talked to them. And he's come back to them, and then a few days later, they're all back in Jerusalem and they're in this room, about 120 of them, and the Holy Spirit, a wind blows, and like the house shook, and all of a sudden somebody that was there said that it was like little flames were over each one's head. And that was the gift of the Holy spirit being brought. What am I doing? Sorry. Uh, oh, my necklace. There you go. Um, so, yeah. sorry. sorry, back to the Holy spirit. Am I going too fast? I'm going too fast. Okay. So, <laughs> preach sister. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Um, so anyway, in this house and in, when Pentecost comes. So it's in chapter two of, of um, Acts. And it says they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were sp- filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now yeah, listen to five. Now, there were, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And it goes down a little bit further and it tells all these places. Go go look it up in, in Acts chapter 2. This is in verse 7. It lists where all the people were from. But at the end of it, it says, we hear them Declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So Jerusalem had people in it from everywhere. All these Jews that were not necessarily Palestinian Jews. This is all things that I'm learning. Palestinian Jews and then there were Hellenistic Jews. And the Hellenistic Jews were spoke Greek. And they were outside of this area of Israel and this Arab Area, I guess, because they spoke Greek. They were well versed with all the, with all the pagans and things like that, but they still believed they were Jews. They believed in God. So they, a lot of them had come into Jerusalem for pilgrimages and to see it and ended up staying. So there were lots of Jews that were not from Jerusalem or Israel necessarily in Jerusalem at that time. And so as they heard, as the Holy Spirit descended, they heard the word and the message in their own tongue. And what must that have been like? I have a friend who is, um, who is a a teacher of the, I don't know, Sally, if you see this, Sally Evans, I don't, she's a teacher and she's a science, she's an interpreter for, for deaf people. And she has been so excited, um, with this new administration, and this is not a political thing, but Sally has been so excited to see that now for all the press conferences and everything that has been done, that there has been an interpreter, you know, in the box, in this box, so that deaf people can, can understand what's being said and not have to wait for a transcript or turn on the closed captioning, that there is someone, as that speech is happening, translating for them, and i would never really thought about it before, but I was like, you know, that's huge. Is this the first time? Sally seems, I think it's the first time, Sally, if you, my friend Sally sees this, you can let me know if that's right or wrong, but it occurred to me that what an empowering thing for people that have never been able to hear the information as it was happening, for it to be on the screen, For it to be right there. That is what is happening in Acts. These people are hearing the information for the very first time in their own language. They were hearing it. And that created, it says that that day as Peter started preaching, about 3,000 joined their number. Can you imagine what that would be like? So there's Peter who's preached this message. There are 300 new, new members of the way. Um, about that time, let me see when the, oh, about AD 36. So AD 36, it starts to get a little bit dicey between the Jews and the Christians. Okay. That, that, that split becomes wider. And, the Jews in and of themselves were, were, were persecuted a little bit, but not by the Romans and other people. But they were kind of left alone because they played by the rules of the empire. And the Christians, it's in some of the things I read, said that they were just stubborn people. They refused. They absolutely refused to say that there was any other God except their God. And to declare allegiance to, to anyone else, especially Caesar. So the emperors. So this, this widening thing happened, but the Hellenistic Jews were persecuted terribly. So they fled. They left Jerusalem. Most likely they went back to their to their home countries, or they went, went on. They, and there we go. Another missionary movement has begun where they are leaving there and telling what they've heard and what they've learned. So it's a possibility that some of these people went to Crete or had gone back to Crete. Um, it probably was a Gentile church, um, which means non Jewish people. So this church was probably started by Gentiles and they probably had a lot of people coming. In, like I said, they had a lot of people coming and going, and there was a group called the um, Judaizers. And I just think it's interesting because in Titus it says um, that they're deceivers, especially of the circumcision group. Well, the circumc- circumcision group would be the Jews, um, because the Jews part of because the Jews that were believers in Jesus kind of had this issue, it's probably more than kind of, had this issue with they had been circumcised. They had followed these, these laws that had been set up in the Old Testament. They'd been doing this a really long time. And now here all of a sudden are these new believers that were Gentiles that were not Jewish, and they had not been circumcised. And this was a real sticking point for the Jews. And it... It's a lot of time is spent talking. I mean, Peter has a, in Acts, you can read about, there's another story with Peter where, I mean, the Lord has to really get a hold of Peter and talk to him about these kinds of things and these these rules concerning the Gentiles. So I, this makes it seem like that there were also some of these people that were coming back into saying, well, you know, yeah, you guys might be Christians and you might be in the word, but you aren't, uh, I mean, are you really saved? I mean, do you really have this salvation because you've you're, you've left out this part because you're new here? And I think that they were glad to have them, but they wanted them to abide by the old rules. And it was really tough. I mean, can you imagine being a new Christian when Christianity itself was new and we're so spoiled and it's so, you know, easy for us to find the word um, you can go to Barnes and Noble. I just went there last week and literally there are shelves of Bibles. There are so many translations. You can find it anywhere. You There are Bible apps that you can download to your phone. You can look it up on the internet, um, Google. I mean, you can put in anything. You can say, Google, what's the scripture about? In fact, I've done this, did it this morning. Where in Acts is Titus? He's not in Titus is what Google says. So, um, I mean, Titus is not an ex, sorry. Um, so we have this at our disposal. These people did not. So can you imagine trying to navigate a new faith, a new way of life without having any kind of roadmap and just relying on these traveling missionaries coming in? I mean, that in and of itself speaks to how determined, God was for us to know his story, for us to know about Jesus, and for that message to come out. He was, he meant it. He wanted us all to know. He wanted them to know, and he wanted me to know, and he wanted you to know. He wanted you to know this message, but for the beginning, it was hard, but they stuck with it. They absolutely stuck with it. Hallelujah. But they stuck with it. So, All these things are coming in. So that that could be one thing. Then also they had these pagan rituals and tendencies that they had known their whole life. So that was also an issue of going back to their old ways. And isn't that the same for us too? It's so easy to slip back in to what we used to do and what we used to know. And it's very subtle. We don't go about it thinking, hey, I'm going to really mess up today. I think I might sin later. Hmm. I don't know. We'll see how I feel. We don't do that. It just, well, it might. You might do that sometimes. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm doing it anyway. You might have those instances. But most of the time, we do things that we just don't even count. We don't even count that as not being the way that we should live. So Titus was written. Paul was writing to Titus to encourage the Cretans how to live a godly life. That is what this book is about. Kay Arthur um, has, I'm a big fan of Kay Arthur. Um, And the beginning in lesson one of her Titus study in the precept upon precept, study is you are about to begin a study of a powerful and greatly needed epistle which was written almost 2,000 years ago. A letter which if read and heeded, listen, could turn our churches around and thus impact our communities and eventually our nation. Wow. So as we get into Titus, Let's just focus on how God wants us to live. Let's live the way that Paul was encouraging the Cretans to live, to throw off all those other things. Hebrews 12.1 uh, is a fantastic verse. Hebrews is one of my favorites. Um, I think it's, it's my favorite book putting that out there. But Hebrews 12:1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cl- great cloud of witnesses, that is a sermon in and of itself. Um, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Could consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My friends, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for us to do. I want for us to take this journey together and dig into Titus and learn how to rely on him and be mindful of the sacrifice that he has given for us. And what that means for us, what that grace means is that we live it out and that we show everyone that comes in our path how much we love the Lord and how much they need him too.